Do you remember that scene if you saw the movie from A Few Good Men? When Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise are kind of going at it in a courtroom and Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. That's a good description of the society that you and I live in today. Because there's a lot of people today who make statements like this. I have my truth and you have your truth. Whatever works for you, well, that's true. Whatever works for me, well, that's true. Well, the problem with this is your truth is that it may not be the truth. And that's not just my truth, but the truth. So simply because I insist something is true for me, well, that does not necessarily make it true. Contrary to popular opinion, there is such a thing as absolute truth which is and can be defined as inflexible reality. For instance, it's a fixed fact. There are absolutely no square circles. There are absolutely no round squares. Water is wet, not dry. Cheese curds are the best invention of all time. (laughs) By the way, the Curder Burger is back at Culver's. Or another illustration, if I take my water, take a drink, put it down on the table, and it's too close to the end, it falls. That's gravity. You can't deny that. No person would say, well, gravity works for you, (laughs) but it doesn't work for me. Truth can be defined as being in accord with fact or reality. Merriam-Webster defines it this way, fidelity constancy, fact. In a word, truth is reality. It's how things really are. In the New Testament, the Greek word for truth means to unhide or hiding nothing. The idea is that truth is always there. You can evade truth, but nothing can make it evaporate. The Hebrew word, Hebrew from the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for truth means firmness, constancy, and durability. So we could say true truth is timeless, and it can be relied upon. In short, truth is simply what is, and telling the truth is telling it like it is. Now let's note what truth is not. Truth is not simply Whatever works, that's pragmatism. Truth is not what makes people feel good. That's hedonism. Truth is not what the majority says is true. That's relativism. Truth is not believing all truth claims are equally valid. That's pluralism. Truth is not simply what is believed. Like if you believe it, well, then it's true. No, that's gullibility. A lie believed is still a lie. And so the place for us to begin, as always, is with this question. What does the Bible say? Stephen Lawson lays it out clearly. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. All truth must be defined in terms of God, whose very nature is truth. 
Now consider these truths. God the Father is the God of truth, Isaiah 65, 16. Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth, John 1, 14. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, John 14, 17. The Bible is the word of truth. Now let's consider some distinguishing properties of truth. Number one, truth is divine. Truth comes from above. It's not determined by opinion polls. Ultimately, all truth is God's truth because he's the sole author of truth. Romans 3, 4, let God be true and everyone, if though everyone were a liar. Number two, truth is eternal. Like truth is not here one day and then gone tomorrow. What was true yesterday will be true next year. Psalm 119, 160 says, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Well, here's one, truth is absolute. Truth is exclusive, it's not inclusive. Truth is real, it's not relative. And truth is incompatible with and intolerant of error. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Next, number four, truth is objective. The Bible is objective truth that is always true in every place and at all times. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Number five, Truth is immutable. God does not change, and neither does his truth. Mark this. Right is always right, and wrong is always wrong. Truth is never outdated or obsolete. Psalm 119.89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And finally, number six, truth is authoritative. When the Bible says it, that settles it. John 12, 48, the one who rejects me, Jesus says, and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. I like the wit and wisdom of Winston Churchill. He once said this, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. (laughs) The truth is incontrovertible. Malice may attack it, Ignorance may deride it, but in the end, there it is. (laughs) We've seen that truth is propositional, but even more than that, truth is wrapped up in a person. Jesus rises over all of our cultural confusion, and and he shouts out, I am the truth. Get to know me, and you'll discover that which is totally true and totally transforming. We learned last weekend from John 14, 6, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here's our main idea. Since Jesus is the truth, we must be ready at all times to tell others the truth about him. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 8. And we're going to read this section together. If you're able to stand, would you stand? And let's read John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. 
Let's just pause and remind ourselves what we're doing here. We're worshiping. We get to hear from God's authoritative book right now, his word of truth, and we're gonna learn about truth. Let's read together. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, never been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You can be seated. Let's discover three truths about truth from this passage. Number one, be at home in the truth of God's word. The second half of verse 31 introduces a conditional clause, if you abide in my word. That word abide means to dwell in, to remain in, to continue in, to live in. The picture is staying in a house and becoming so in love with the place that the house becomes your home. We're not to just go to the Bible as an occasional guest. We're to move in and live there. The idea is we're to sit and soak in the truth of the scriptures. Notice Jesus uses the singular, my word, not words, meaning he's referring to the sum total of everything that he's taught. In John 14, 23, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we'll come to him and make our home with him. So here's a question. Is God's word at home in your heart? We learned in week one of our Unshaken and Unashamed series, see what you believe about God's word will determine how you view the world around you. If your worldview does not come from God's word, it will by default come from the world. Number two, get to know the truth found in Jesus. I'm in the first part of verse 32 and you will know the truth. Incredibly, seven different times in this passage, Jesus references truth. Now, this passage is often taken out of context and it's important to realize truth is not primarily a principle it's not a philosophy it's not even a platform it's a person and his name is Jesus so if you want to know the truth get to know the one who is the truth and then follow the truth of what he says in his word of truth Jesus always tells the truth about our condition, our need for salvation, how to be born again, how to pray, how to forgive, how to love, how to live on mission. Friends, in a world filled with lies and half-truths and confusion and uncertainty, Jesus prays this prayer for you and for me. John 17, 17, sanctify them, set them apart in the, do you know what it says? In the truth. Here's Jesus, set them apart in the truth. Then he says this, your word is truth. Number three, find freedom in the truth of salvation. Here now the second half of verse 32, and the truth 
will set you free. Jesus came to set us free from sin. That's spelled out in Romans 6, but now that you've been set free from sin, you've now become slaves of God. 2 Corinthians three seventeen. now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So these Jewish leaders are listening to Jesus, but they don't get that they need to be set free, so they push back, and so they claim their heritage. They're like, we're good to go. We're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Well, they had forgotten their history, didn't they? They were slaves in Egypt, in Assyria, in Babylon, and now they're living under Roman rule. But more than that, they had this warped view of their own goodness, thinking that because they kept some rules and followed some rituals, that they were okay. Now, before leaving this passage, Jesus gives a warning and then a welcome. Here's the warning. Sin leads to bondage. Let me just stop there to say some of you are living that right now. You're like, I, I don't know how to get out of this loop of sin. You don't, you're like, okay, you start sinning, and then all of a sudden it, it becomes such a habit and such a power over your life, and Jesus explains it. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. I'm fascinated by how many times Jesus used this phrase, truly, truly. That means very truly, most assuredly, so be it. In John's gospel alone, he says it 26 times. It's like he's saying it with an exclamation point. It's the way Jesus introduced something incredibly profound and monumental. In the original language, it's the word amen. So these religious guys thought they were spiritually superior, but Jesus made it clear that apart from a relationship with him, the only one who is truly, truly the truth, everyone is in bondage to sin. You cannot be freed from sin until you admit the truth that you are enslaved to sin, which leads to point number two, the son is the bondage breaker. Listen to verse 36. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is more evidence that the sun is truth itself. Verse 32 says the truth. Here we read the sun will set you free. The Christian faith is liberating since we don't have to build our lives on our truth. No, instead, when we repent and receive the one who called and proved himself the truth, we'll be set free. All right, let's take a transition now. What does all this topic have to do with us today? Well, this week I intentionally listened carefully uh, to the news and things I heard in the culture around. I paid attention to news feeds on overhearing conversations. And when Beth and I would sit down and watch the news, at the same time, I came across a verse I had not seen before, which I think captures our cultural condition. Check this out from the book of Isaiah. Truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Because truth has stumbled and tumbled today. You could say truth is the scarcest commodity in the world. Researcher George Barna has discovered that nearly 75% of Americans do not believe in absolute truth. 
And here's the sad part about that. Without the clarity and consistency of absolute moral truth, we're reduced to doing what seems right, what feels good, what produces the least resistance, and what provides the greatest possible personal fulfillment. And so in a world which no longer believes in absolute truth and embraces outright and egregious error, it's imperative, church, for you and I, as followers of Christ, if you're a born-again believer, it's imperative that you and I be discerning. So here's a prayer that we should pray. It's a prayer prayed by Solomon. And we can also see how God answered it. Give your servant, 1 Kings 3, verse 9, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. And then in chapter 4, we see, now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breath of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Friends, we need very great discernment today, don't we? You do know truth is not always convenient, and it's not popular. I love listening to preachers. I love reading sermons. I love listening to sermons. A preacher from of old, he's in glory now, Adrian Rogers once said this, it is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. It is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than falsehood that comforts and then kills it's better, it's hard, but it's better to stand alone with the truth than to be wrong with a multitude. It is better to ultimately succeed with truth than to temporarily succeed with a lie. Friends, let's just say what the Bible says. The Bible tells the truth about God as creator. The Bible tells the truth that our gender is determined by God at conception as either male or female. By the way, the topic of identity will be addressed next weekend. That's a huge issue in our culture today. The truth of the Bible teaches that marriage is a covenant commitment between one man and one woman for life. The Bible, the truth of the Bible teaches that life begins at conception and therefore the preborn must be protected. The Bible teaches that the scriptures alone are sufficient and that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved from our sins and the judgment we deserve. That's what the truth of the Bible says. Now here are five ways I want to suggest that we can develop discernment today. Number one, make sure you settle the source of truth. What is true? Psalm 119, 151 says, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Several weeks ago, we hosted the Faith and Reason seminar with Rick Magoo, and, and he pointed out that our society holds scientists up as authoritative experts. It was helpful to be reminded how the Bible and science are not against one another because all truth is ultimately God's truth. And while science has helped us discover amazing facts about God's creation, and most of the pioneers of science believed in God as creator, 
We must ultimately decide whether scripture is true or what some scientists say is true. Well, let me illustrate. Darwinian evolution is a theory. It's not a fact. Now, some of us struggled with this on the Edgewood State of Theology survey where where only 77% of us disagreed with that statement that modern science disproves the Bible. Uh, You can see 11 more percent disagree with that. And so I was looking at that, and it just struck me, in the culture in which we live, science or experts have become the truth source. A number are not sure, and perhaps you're in process on that. We have a lot of newer people here. A lot of people who took this survey are in high school. And, um, but I, I just want to point out something that Rick shared at the seminar. Rick mentioned how over 900 PhD scientists are now questioning Darwinism, and they're signing their names to a website called descentfromdarwin.org. This week, I went on that website. That 900 has now increased to over 1,000. Here's the statement they signed, quote, we are skeptical of claims for the ability of random mutation and natural selection to account for the complexity of life. Careful examination of the evidence for Darwinian theory should be encouraged. Now, check out this brief video. I'm skeptical of the claim. I'm skeptical. We are skeptical of claims for the ability of random mutations and natural selection to account for the complexity of life. Careful examination of the evidence for Darwinian theory should be encouraged. Skeptical. 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 Of claims for the ability for the ability of random mutations and natural selection to account for the complexity. Complexity. The complexity. The complexity. To account for the complexity of life. Careful examination. 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 Of the evidence for Darwinian theory should be encouraged. I find that encouraging, don't you? Yeah. By the way, if you missed the Faith and Reason seminar, you want to go back and re-watch it, thanks to Dave Bennett, our tech director. All four seminar sessions are now posted on edgewoodbaptist.net. Number two, tell the truth about what is right and what is wrong. John Stone Street, um, who served for many years with Chuck Colson, uh, he has a, a daily podcast and writes a number of books. L- listen to what John Stone Street said. Ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. Ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. It's getting harder, he writes, for Christians to say not only what is courageously true in the public square, but also not co-opted into saying what is not true. 
A tension that we all have to hold together is to say what is true along with the courage to love like Jesus. And then Stone Street describes how the waves of cultural change, and you feel this, are washing over us. And along with that, the undercurrents and the riptides of an untethered culture are knocking many of us off course and sweeping some out to sea. Earlier this week, Beth and I were watching the news out of Philadelphia highlighting how hundreds of looters broke into stores. Did you see this story? In the middle of the day. And the reporter was interviewing someone and that person was struggling to put into words what he had seen. And then he finally landed on this phrase, quote, we're living in a society of lawlessness. That's a biblical word. Do you know that some stores have locked up deodorant and toothpaste because there's so much theft? Perhaps you heard this. Because of crime, Walmart has closed or is closing 22 stores in North America this year. This week, I came across this headline in Fortune magazine, quote, Retail theft has gotten so bad, Walmart is building a police station inside an Atlanta store. Friends, we're living in days similar to those described at the end of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Jesus predicted what we see in our world today. Matthew 24, 12. And because, here's the word, lawlessness will be increased the love of many will grow cold. What a picture. So fellow followers of Christ, I appeal to you. Let me say it stronger. I exhort you. It's time for us to be unshaken in our faith and unashamed of the gospel. Here's a statement I've been working on, and I come back to it every several months. I came back to it this week and added some more to it because as our society slips into lawlessness and lewdness, more and more people today are living without restraint and living without limits. Here's what I wrote down. Perhaps you'll find it helpful. What used to be considered an abomination, which led to lamentation, has become a celebration demanding participation and affirmation. What was formerly unthinkable has now become unquestionable. And since Christians are often canceled when they tell the truth, Many have chosen to cave, to compromise, or to remain quiet. 
Church, we can no longer be silent. This is why we started where we did today, because if you're not abiding in God's word, you're going to be swept away by all that's going on in the culture. You won't know what's true and what's not true. We must be unshaken in our faith and unashamed of the gospel. It's time for us to be convictional about sin, including our own sins, courageous for our Savior, but don't leave this last part off, while being compassionate towards sinners as we witness to the timeless truth of Jesus, who alone can set us free from our sins. Let's take courage from the words of Martin Luther. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other So help me, God. And so began the Protestant Reformation. Number three, test the teaching you hear. Not every bestseller is the best book to read. Not every podcast is worth your time. Not every YouTube video saying some conspiracy theory or some truth that this person has is worth watching. Not every popular preacher is worth listening to. 1 John 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That means you should check what I say as well. So let me say this, and this has gripped me just recently. Pastors trained in our conservative Bible schools and seminaries are watering down the gospel. And they're no longer preaching about sin. They're redefining marriage and they're capitulating to the LGBTQ plus agenda. According to 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, we shouldn't be surprised by this. It always surprises me when I, when I hear it, when I hear of a pastor. But we shouldn't be surprised because... Well, this is what we read. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the, listen to this phrase and think of our topic, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Listen to this warning from 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. We just preached through 2 Timothy. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, this is quite a phrase, they'll accumulate, they'll add up, they'll put together, these are their favorites, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
I know I've shared this illustration before, but it is so vivid in my mind that I'm gonna share it again. And I'm telling you that I know I've shared it so you're not out there going, he just shared that. (laughs) When our youngest daughter, Megan, was about eight years old, I remember in our previous uh, community, we were down in the basement sitting on a couch together and I was uh, previewing a video from a very popular pastor. And Megan was sitting next to me and I had a notebook open. I was kind of hunched over watching, taking notes. I found some things very interesting that he was saying. I was nodding at some of his tremendous insights. And I'll never forget this. It was so embarrassing. She said these words, Daddy, this doesn't sound right. I don't think he's being biblical. (laughs) She was spot on. She had detected error before I did. Because I got caught up in these new insights and this preacher's popularity. That man who no longer believes in hell and subscribes to universalism is now a full-fledged heretic. Friends, if you don't know the truth of the Bible, you're not going to be able to spot error. I'm told that when bank tellers are being trained to recognize counterfeit money, they're simply given genuine money and they're told to touch it, smell it, get a feel for it, what it looks like. They become so familiar with what is real that when counterfeit comes by, they're like, this doesn't feel right. It doesn't smell right. This doesn't look right. Oh, boy, one of the pastors from of old and he's written a number of books, is worth considering. Check out these truths from A.W. Tozer. Each generation of Christians must look to its beliefs. While truth itself is unchanging, the minds of men are porous vessels out of which truth can leak (laughs) and into which error may seep to dilute the truth they contain. The human heart is heretical by nature and runs to error as naturally as a garden to weeds. The heart that fails to cultivate truth and root out error will shortly be a theological wilderness. One reason we're to guard our doctrine and speak up for truth is because 1 Timothy 3.15 calls gathered believers who make up the local church, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Pillars strengthen a building, buttresses provide support and protection. We've said it before, we have to say it again. The church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. Now, to learn more about how to be discerning and how to share the truth of the gospel, we're featuring some books in our resource center located to the right of the cafe. The first is a book by Elisa Childers called Live Your Truth and Other Lies. The second book, outstanding book on apologetics called Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. Number four, recognize Satan as a liar. Satan's first lie is found in Genesis 3, 4 when he said to Eve, you will not surely die. 
And Satan and his evil forces always attack truth. And they're behind the telling of lies and the taking of innocent life. Jesus said it clearly, John 8, He, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Why? Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's why Ephesians 6, 14 says, Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Number five, live on mission in our messed up world. Friends, we can find encouragement from the words of Corey Ten Boom when describing the deplorable conditions of her imprisonment. She said this, and I would know again that in darkness, God's truth shines most clear. I'm reminded of a verse in 1 Chronicles 12.32. It says, the men of Issachar understood the times, the times in which they lived, and they knew the best course for Israel to take. Since Jesus is truth, we must be ready at all times to tell others the truth about him. Think with me about that famous exchange between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. Jesus made it clear he's the true king, and actually, Pilate was really on trial, not him. Listen to John 18, 37. You say that I am a king. Jesus says, for this purpose I was born. For this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the what? To the truth. That's why he came. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, Pilate then asks the question. It still echoes down through the centuries. Pilate said, what is truth? So here's Jesus, truth incarnate, standing right in front of Pilate, and he missed it. You see, for him, it was either a rhetorical question he didn't need to answer, or maybe he was curious or cynical or indifferent or irritated or insincere. But what is clear is that he acted on what was expedient. The very next verse, he went back outside. He didn't stick around for the answer. Friends, truth is not so much a what, but a who. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. J. Warner Wallace's testimony is all about how truth penetrated his life. Listen to what he says. I'm not a Christian because it works for me. I had a life prior to Christianity that seemed to be working just fine, and my life as a Christian hasn't always been easy. Check this. I'm a Christian because it is true. I'm a Christian because I want to live in a way that reflects the truth. I'm a Christian because my high regard for the truth leaves me no alternative. Friend, can you handle the truth of the gospel? See, because we are sinners, Jesus offered his life in our place, taking the blame for all of our sin, all of our shame, and his amazing grace obliterated our atrocious guilt. When his blood was shed, God the Father accepted the sacrifice of God of his son's life as full and final payment for our sins. God's righteous and holy wrath was fully satisfied by the death and resurrection of our living Lord Jesus. He is the truth, and he can set you free today. Don't go outside until you can answer this question. What is truth, or better, who is truth? 
truth. See, knowing the truth is good, but you must also respond to it. It's time to repent of your sins and receive him into your life. I'm going to ask Marie Guyton to come up. Marie was talking to me about on Friday about an experience she had this past week in Awana. Hi, Marie. Good morning. You were downstairs teaching, weren't you? I was. Thank you. Um, Awana is our midweek discipleship ministry, and you have the pleasure of teaching Sparks. So tell us what God did this past Wednesday. Okay, this past Wednesday was teaching the lesson. I brought this bag into Sparks class. That's kindergarten through second grade. And we talked about what was in this bag, because we were addressing the question of what is God like? And so I used this illustration to help them understand a little bit about God. And before Jesus came to earth, we didn't really know much about God. And so it's like, what's in this bag? We don't know what's in this bag. So I asked them, well, what can we determine about what's in this bag? And so it's like, well, it's smaller than the bag in order for it to fit. It doesn't have an odor, so it's probably not food or anything smelly or stinky and so forth. But other than that, we really didn't know a whole lot about the ba- what was in the bag. So then I had a spark leader come up and look in the bag and just describe to the kids what was in the bag, but not tell them exactly what was in Mm. the bag. So we said that it was orange. It had the number five on it. It was round and it was used to play a game. So they know a little bit more about what's in the bag, but they still don't know exactly what was in the bag. And so we talked about how Jesus came to earth and people did know Jesus and they did know what he was like and they recorded it in his words so that we're able to know more about God, more about Jesus, because Jesus is the image of God. He is God himself Mm. that came and made himself visible Mm. for us. And so then um, we talked about verses and we read different verses that explain that God had, Jesus had a body, he had hands and feet and head and he was hungry and is thirsty and so he was just like us. In all ways, he was God, but he was also human. And I said, and one day, he's going to be coming back. Hmm. And we're going to be able to see God for ourselves and know God just like you know what is now in the bag. And so that helped them to understand a little bit more about God. And so I talked to them about how if it led into a great time of being able to Ask them, do you want to make a decision to follow Christ? And I explained, that means you have to make God Lord and Savior. And I'm like, they don't know what that means. So I said, it means that God has the right to tell you what to do. And you agree to follow and obey, whether it's something that you want to do or not. If you make him Lord and Savior, you have to do what he says. And I had them bow their heads and close their eyes. And I told them, now I don't want you to raise your hand unless you really honestly, truly mean that you want to make a decision to tell God that he has the right to tell you what to do. And at first, no hands went up. Then one little hand, then three hands. And by the end, I didn't count all the hands, but there had to be at least 15 hands that went up in this room on Wednesday night. And it was just so moving to see how God had stirred these kids and God was working and moving in their lives and how they responded to the truth of God's word about who God is. And I had the leaders look around and see who had raised their hands and told them, make sure leaders that if one of your kids raised their hand, that you have a conversation with them tonight Mm. before you left. And I prayed with them. And as I was 
praying, God moved me so much that I was just bawling at how God had worked. It was just an awesome experience of what God had done in the Sparks this week. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Marie.